You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington, and we have services meeting each week at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can also join us online live at our 11 a.m. service each Sunday. If you'd like to know more about Axe Church Northwest, you can go to axechurchnw.org. Now enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Woo! Good to be at church today, right? Well, um, I have a zit on my face. Just thought I'd let you know. Some of you are going to start looking like, I have, there's a lot of light here, so you probably can see it. Um, don't worry about what kind of sermon it's going to be. I'm going to get somewhere with this. But uh, when I look at a mirror, what I see is that zit. I just kind of hone in on this bubbling thing on my face. And it's really quite upsetting when I look in the mirror because I can't make it go away right now. But then I leave the restroom in the morning and get on with my day, and I forget about it. Other people who are around me probably can't, but I do. I forget about it. I'm not thinking about it anymore. I've kind of forgotten what I saw in the mirror that morning uh, because there's not a mirror to remind me of my zit. So I just go on. I act like it's not there, and I sort of live my life. Now, if I carried a mirror with me, and I was constantly looking at the mirror, then I'd constantly be reminded of the zit, and probably on my way home from work or whatever, I'd stop off at the Walgreens or wherever and get whatever it was I needed to get rid of that zit, because I'd be thinking about it all the time. And as we think about mirrors, I want to I read you something. This is from a website called Better Living. Now, it's a British website. That's why I said it like that. Probably not a great British accent, but you know what? I'm the one up here, so uh, this is what it says. British men spend longer looking at the reflections every day than women. Our new national research reveals, uh, and beauty experts have even dubbed this new breed of preening males as reflectors because they spend so long checking themselves out. Now listen to this. The average adult UK man will spend 56 minutes looking at his own reflection every day according to our recent nationwide study. That's 340.67 hours every year, or a whopping 355 days of self-reflection in their adult life between the ages of 25 and 50. It's like a year of that time. British women, on the other hand, spend just 43.5 minutes on an average day, asking their mirror who is the fairest of them all. That's 265 hours every year and 275.65 entire days looking in the mirror between the ages of 25 and 50 for the average British lady. More than half of British men, 52%, freely admit they are getting vainer than ever. British people, right? I'd think if they'd look that often in the mirror, they might start to do something about the whole teeth thing. But that's... If you're online in Britain right now, I'm kidding, we love you. But the teeth thing is real. I've seen the show, so I know. Um, Anyway. (laughs) We probably do have people that we Sometimes we do. Uh, It's a good thing we, we, us, we don't look in the mirror all the time, right? We don't don't have that problem. Of course, we don't need to because a lot of us could just go on our Facebook or Instagram feeds and see the hundreds and hundreds of selfies that we just had to post just in case people forgot what we looked like, right? Of course, it doesn't hurt to add maybe a few filters, maybe not have it be a perfect reflection. Sometimes I can, let's get one here. All right, let me airdrop that back to you. Let's get that up on the screen. Just a few filters. (laughs) See, you can't see the zit at all. 
filtered it right out. No? Okay. Get rid of that. I don't want them comparing me to that guy. <clears throat> okay, maybe that's a picture of Chris Hemsworth, and maybe filtering software isn't that good. Uh, but you get the idea, right? Well, let's get into some scripture for today and, and find out why I'm talking about mirrors and, and pictures of Chris Hemsworth and all the rest of that. We're in the Psalms, okay? First thing you need to know about Acts Church is it's your first time, is we don't, I don't say a lot of things that I come up with that I think might help you live a better life or something like that. We are tied to and very dedicated to the scriptures and what they say. We teach the word of God. So our regular way of doing things is normally to be going through different scriptures, different books of the Bible, and so on. Right now, we're in a series where we're going to do five psalms, the first five, and we're going to take a break and do some other, uh, you know, study some other scripture, and we're going to come back from time to time and do five more until either we get all the way through 150 psalms or the Lord comes back, and I'm hoping that he comes back soon and we don't make it all the way through. But if not, it'll be great to get through all of them. So um, that's where we are. Last week, we got pretty far. We got through verse one of chapter one. For me, sometimes I don't only get a half a verse, so that was not bad. Um, that verse was packed with information, right? If you were here last week, it taught us not to take counsel from the ungodly, not to stand in the path of sinners or to sit in the seat of the scornful. If you don't know what all that might mean, you can check that out online on our website or on YouTube or on Spotify. Or on, we have it everywhere, okay? So you can go check that out. This time, we're going to begin with verse 2 of chapter 1. I'm going to read it to you now. It says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord... And in his law, he meditates day and night. Who's him? Well, him is the man who's blessed, the person who's blessed, which we find out in the first verse. And the first verse says, the person who's blessed doesn't do this, this, and this. And now it says, but, in other words, rather, rather than these things that he doesn't do, he does do these things. And they are, as I just read, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So... The law is one of those words that I think we struggle with a little bit um, because we normally think when we hear law, some of you know I'm an attorney, most of you have forgiven me for that, looked past that, had some grace, but the law, when I, when I know the way that some of my clients looked at it, um, it was something that made them fearful, right, um, until they hired me and then they had nothing to worry about. Um, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, I'm not, but that's a different thing. Um, I, I am. So the law, the law of man is often like that thing that if you don't do what you're supposed to do, a policeman comes and takes you to jail or whatever, and a judge sentences you and so on. So we kind of look at the law as like this thing that's sort of against us. The law of God, what's in the word oftentimes people look at as sort of God has made all these rules and it's like do exactly what he says or zap, right? There's judgment, there's punishment, whatever. And so when we hear the word law, we often think of it as sort of an affront to our personal freedom. But that's not what we're talking about here. The word law here in the Hebrew is the word Torah. Now, you may have heard the word Torah used in a couple of different ways. One way that it's used is to refer to the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteron Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? That's called the, the Torah or the books of Moses or the Pentateuch. That's, that's one way that we use the word Torah. Another way that it is used is just the teachings. All of the scriptures, the Torah, the word of God, the teachings, it's less about law in the way that some people might think about it and more about the teachings, the teachings, the Torah. And so because the Bible is the word of God, it's literally God's word, we are to delight, 
in his teachings in the Torah. Now, we don't use the word delight a lot. I rarely say, oh, I'm just so delighted. I rarely, I rarely say that because that's just not the way a lot of us talk anymore. But delight is pleasure. We're to take pleasure in, to love the Torah, the teachings, the scripture, the law. It is a blessing beyond imagining that we, rebellious, broken humans, have been entrusted with and given the gift of having the word of God. God didn't have to do that. He didn't owe us that, but he gave it to us. And we should have a reverence and a love for the word of God. The Jewish people, they celebrate a holiday called Simchat Torah. I was told I did pronounce that correctly when I said in the first service. And it means rejoicing in the Torah. And what they'll do is they will... It's, it's on the last day of, of, the, of the readings, the Torah readings. So they read through the, the first five books. And it's the last, they do the last reading of Deuteronomy. And then they do the first reading of Genesis. And on that day, they celebrate. And what they do is they take the Torah scrolls out of what they call the ark, which is where they keep all these Torah scrolls. They take them out and they celebrate. And they take it and they'll hug them and they'll dance around with the Torah. And they're so happy to have the scriptures. I don't know about you, but, but I very, very rarely look at my Bible and go, I want to dance. You know, just, mm, mm, mm. you like that? Uh, the first service didn't get that, so you guys got that one. I'm very rarely like that, but the Jewish people, they love it. And we should too. We should have a reverence for the law, for the Torah, for the teachings, for the scripture that God gave this to us. It should excite us and we should have joy and take pleasure in it and be delighted in the law in the Torah, in the teachings. We meet with each other. For me, myself, I meet with a number of people every week, whether it's the staff or the other pastors at the church. I meet with Dr. David Robinson, one of our elders, because he's got a great name, every week. I meet with different people in the church, and oftentimes in these meetings, we're just delighting in the teachings. We bring up a, a subject, and maybe we're going to get in there, and we're going to look at the word, verse, and we're going to talk about wh- wh- what it means and who God is and what he's doing, and there's an excitement that comes with that because we have the word of God. It's an amazing thing. And because we love it so much, and because Acts Church, which is you and me and us, are so serious about the teachings, about the scriptures, we do not take well to those who would twist or pervert the scriptures. We don't take well to it. It's not something that we're okay with. We delight in them, in studying them. And so when we see other Christians who attempt to pervert or to twist the scripture, to change the meaning, or to suggest that some of the scriptures are true, you know, actually, and then some of the scriptures, well, that was written by men at a certain time, and they don't really, whatever. And so it seems that it always seems to be the scriptures that they like are the ones that are true, and the ones that are tough are the ones that maybe we don't really need to worry about. We don't like that. We don't like that because we love the scriptures. I want you to think for a moment about Star Wars. When I say that, a certain number of you are going, is that the one with the pointy ear guy, the spot guy? And then a certain number of you are thinking, if anyone's thinking that, I'm really upset because they should know Star Wars. And then a certain number of you are thinking, you don't have to tell me to think about Star Wars. I never stopped thinking about it because that's all I think about because you're just a Star Wars fanboy. For those second two categories, relax, okay? It's just a set of movies. Get outside and play more often, okay? (laughs) Just, I'm just saying, it's just worth 
It's okay to like it, but to like it, it can get a little much. But anyway, Star Wars. They came out with a movie a couple years ago. Um, not this last one, but the one before. It was called The Last Jedi. And when they came out with that movie, there was an outcry. People went loopy over what they did in this movie. They just went crazy. I googled these words, the last Jedi and then the word ruined to see what would auto-complete. In other words, Google will show you what other people have searched for starting with the words you put. This is what he gave me. These were all different searches that started with the last Jedi ruined. The last Jedi ruined Star Wars. The last Jedi ruined Luke Skywalker. The last Jedi ruined Star Wars Reddit. The last Jedi ruined Star Wars for me. The last Jedi ruined hyperspace. I don't even know how you ruin hyperspace. Did the last Jedi ruined Luke Skywalker? The last Jedi ruined The Force Awakens? Did the last Jedi ruin Star Wars, etc., etc.? Okay? Listen, there are some pretty serious feelings out there on what the last Jedi did to Star Wars. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. To me, it was a movie, space movie with lots of explosions and stuff, and I'm like, <laughs> that's me. I'm not that smart, okay? I thought it was good. I was like, okay, I, what is everybody upset about? Because I'm not like a serious Star Wars fanboy. I was fine with it. But here's the thing. Star Wars fans have an idea of what Star Wars is, of what it was intended to be, of how the story should go, of what the rules are, and so on. And you violate their idea of what Star Wars should be at your peril. Because they got a keyboard, and they will get on there, you know. Whew, sitting down in mom's basement with the Luke Skywalker figurines. <laughs> Somebody is so mad right now. I'm, t I'm kidding. <laughs> I know some of you don't like the movie, okay? It's cool. I really don't have a problem if you're into Star Wars. It's fun, whatever. But I had to do the thing, okay? So... <laughs> The bottom line is, Ryan Johnson, or whatever the guy's name is who made The Last Jedi, he twisted, he perverted what Star Wars was supposed to be. And he messed with the way the story was supposed to go and the way that the characters, kind of the rules of the universe and hyperspace and whatever, right? He did all that. And boy, did they get mad. And I can go online and find it ruined this, 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 this. But here's the thing. There are false teachers out there in the world that say false things about the word of God. And we don't get as upset about it as they get about Star Wars. That says something about where we are in delighting in the law of the Lord. That we can, see they delight in Star Wars, you mess with it and you're gonna get it. We're supposed to delight in the word of God. People mess with it all the time and we don't say much. We mess with it sometimes. We'll get to that in a minute. We are supposed to love the law, the teachings, the Torah. We are supposed to delight in it and take pleasure in it. We're supposed to protect that which we love. That means if we're going to protect it, we have to know it. If we're going to love it, if we're going to delight in it, we have to know it. We are called to know it. Listen to what the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write in Acts 17 about the Bereans. Listen to this. This is 17, 10 through 12 in Acts. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These 
were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. If you recall, often the synagogue, the the Jews in the synagogue were not very fair-minded towards Paul. But these were more fair-minded. In that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. The Jewish Bereans searched the scriptures when Paul preached. Why? They knew the scriptures. They loved the scriptures, the teachings, the Torah. They loved it. So when Paul came to them and said, let me tell you about Jesus, what that did for them was it it helped them to have a new view of what the scripture was. Because let me tell you something. It's all about Jesus. Page one to page whatever it is. Okay? From the beginning to the end, the scriptures, the teachings are about Jesus. And so because they knew the scripture, because they loved the scripture, they had all readiness to hear the good news. And many of them were saved. Not few, many. As well as Greeks, Gentiles, prominent women and men. Why? They loved the scriptures. So when the word of God came fulfilled in the message of Jesus Christ, they were ready for it. Because they loved it. Because they knew it. Because they meditated on it. Paul brought the message of Christ and it unlocked the whole thing. Ah, now I see. Just as Jesus did on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. And he opened the scriptures to them and started showing them how it was all about him. This is what it's like for those who love the word. When truth comes... You recognize it. You're ready for it. You love it. We need to delight in the Torah and the teachings. Then the scripture says, and he meditates on it day and night. Now, the word meditate in our sort of Western culture has sort of borrowed a lot of ideas from Eastern culture. So it's got kind of muddied up. Kind of muddied up the word. We think of meditate sometimes as like the, you know, the thing you sit there with the, or, you know, empty your mind and think about one hand clapping or whatever. That kind of thing, right? It's like a little thing. Whatever, okay? That's what, when we say meditate, a lot of people think, oh, do you meditate? Oh, you're so spiritual. Right? That's not what we're talking about. The The word meditate here means something more like to mutter under your breath. You ever had to do something, you're getting ready to do whatever it is, something hard, and you're going to yourself, okay, I know I can do this, I know I can do this, I know I can do this, I'm ready for it, I can do it. Like that, that's meditating. You're preparing yourself with some truth. Maybe you've had the experience scripturally, you're going through something very difficult in life, and you are just holding on to certain promises of God that he's given you in scripture, and you're speaking them to yourself, whether in your heart or out loud. I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things will work together for good. For those who love God, right? For those who are the call according to his purpose. You're saying these things because you need it, because you're going through that time. That's meditating. You're focused on the scripture. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. That's meditating. Thinking about it day and night. Day and night, that pretty much covers it all. All the time. All the time. Muttering it under your breath. Thinking about it in your heart. Loves the scripture, meditates on it day and night. This is what it looks like 
to be blessed, to be a blessed person. This is what it's all about. You delight, delight in the scriptures. You meditate. You fill your days and nights with the teachings, with the Torah. Now, I am not talking about all you ever do is read your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes you have to drive, and I do not recommend trying to read your Bible and drive. They probably will pull you over for that, and they should. Okay? I don't recommend trying to read the Bible when you're taking the shower. or what, like, There's things that you just, it doesn't make sense, okay? We should probably be reading it more. I should be reading it more than I do. But it's not just the reading, it's the teaching, it's the learning. It's the growing. It's constant. It doesn't stop day and night, day after day. Because in the teachings, in the Torah, in the scripture, the teachings of the Lord, we find life. That's where we find it. We find life in the teachings. We find the promise of the Messiah, of Jesus. All through this, we're going to get it in Psalms. We're going to get all through it. And all, all of this here, everything is leading to, hey, the Messiah is coming. And then we see what? We see that Christmas message, right? Not December 25th. That's another thing that we did. But the real Christmas message comes and says what? Good news. The Messiah is coming. In the incarnation, God becomes man in Jesus Christ. And then we see his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, which gives us our only hope for forgiveness, for eternal life, and for our own resurrection to not have to deal with these broken bodies with their zits anymore. All of that is in the scriptures. Salvation, hope, eternal life, resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the future resurrection of you, the promise of forgiveness of sin. What could be more glorious? What could I delight in more than that? We find it all in the scriptures. That's why we love them. And by the way, all the things that are good about it, the hope, salvation, forgiveness, Jesus resurrected, the promises, all of that is true. But if all of that is true, guess what else is true? Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All of that. See, if one is true, the other is true also. You can't break off part of it. It's all one. We like the kind of promisey stuff, right? We're kind of all about that. We don't always pay attention to the fact that if that's true, so is the rest of it. If God is telling us the way to salvation, he's also telling us the way to live. All of it is true. Our job is to look at the Torah, the teachings, and understand the purpose that God made us for in his image and likeness and how we should walk in the truth, what a lot of people call the moral law. We ignore that part, the moral law, to our own destruction. We can't hold all the promises and ignore the moral law. We try to do it. A lot of churches these days, a lot of people, they get this sort of, I'm going to call it the economic view of the gospel. The economic view. It says something like this. I'm going to tell you what you need to know, that you can feel good or happy about what it's going to do for you, and I'm going to ignore all the parts that are about what you have to do. Advertisement's been this way forever. It's always sought to, to appeal to, as one of the great economists said, appeal to the other person's self-love. 
You're going to be happy. You're going to look like this. Eight out of ten doctors smoke camels. Right? It's going to work out for you. May have been true at the time. I don't know. But, but the, the fact is that advertisement, the way the world tries to make money off you, is to tell you what it's going to do for you instead of focusing on what you actually need. The gospel's different. It tells us what we need. Listen to this. James. Holy Spirit inspired James to write the book of James. It's the brother of Jesus. what he says in chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you hear the word and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. Why? Because you think that because you keep hearing it, you keep showing up here, you keep hearing the word, you sort of think that things are going okay, but if you're not doing it, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. It says this, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Here comes that mirror stuff. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, what did he just say? This one will be blessed in what he does. In James, we hear of the blessed person. In Psalm 1, we hear of the blessed person. You think they might be talking about the same person? Yes. It's all connected. What does the blessed person do? In both cases, this person looks into the Torah, the teachings. That's how the blessing comes. They look to the Torah and they do it. They listen to the law, to the Torah. They look into it, it becomes a mirror. When we look into this and we read it, the more that we do, the more that we see ourselves and the fact that we don't measure up. That there's a standard of holiness. God is holy. He cannot be connected to that which is unholy. And what we find out very quickly as we look into the mirror is that we are unholy. The zits are popping up all over. We see who we are. In the mirror, we see that our righteousness is filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You're going to see that kind of language later in Psalm 1. Romans 3.10 tells us, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We look at the scripture, and we know we have sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we see that we know we need Jesus. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We learn that God loves us and Christ died for us. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We learn that we can be forgiven, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we learn that we can be saved, Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of this we see in the mirror of the Torah, of the teachings. We see our need for God's forgiveness. Our need. 
without seeing that, why would we ever want Jesus if we can do it all by ourselves? We see the need that we had for Christ to pay the price for our redemption because we're lost and we're broken and we had to be redeemed. We need God not to look at us because we look in the mirror of the law and we see what we look like. We need him to look at Jesus. How does he do that? By his death on the cross and his resurrection and his power, he has paid the price for us. That as we look in the mirror, we can start no longer seeing us, but seeing Jesus and figuring out how to look more like him as we go to the mirror and then we go to ourselves and we look to this and we look to us and we get more and more and more closer and closer to God, looking more and more and more like Jesus. That's the deal. That's why the blessing comes. Because we're constantly in the world which we delight in. And we're constantly seeing ourselves and seeing Jesus. And we're constantly being reminded of how much we need him. And we're constantly falling more in love with him who first loved us. But if we stop looking at the law, we stop looking at the mirror, it's kind of like me with the zit. Once I leave that bathroom, it's not long until I forget about that. Like I say, everybody else may see it, but I've forgotten about it. It's the same way here. If we... Stop looking to the word. We stop remembering what we look like. If we stop remembering what we look like, we stop remembering our need for Jesus. If we stop remembering our need for Jesus, we stop acting like we need him. We stop trusting him. We start trusting in ourselves. We're pretty rich as, as a people in the Western world. Things are going pretty well financially. We have the smallest financial issue and we all lose our minds because we want to protect what we have, which is relative wealth. If you've ever been to a third world country, you would agree with that. We think that because we're rich sometimes that we don't need God. You know who it's really hard to get to see their need for the Lord? People who are relatively healthy and relatively wealthy. They think they've got to figure it out. Why? They're looking in the mirror that society has produced. That says, if you're relatively healthy and relatively wealthy, you can take care of yourself. That's a lie from Satan. Because if they were to look here, they would see that all that money and all that health isn't buying them one zit removal from their heart. Not one. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. There's a church that the Lord talks to in in Revelation. And they're kind of rich. And they kind of think they got it all figured out. It's like, you all think you've got to figure it out. You don't think you need anything. You're rich, you're whatever, but no. You're wretched, poor, miserable, naked, and blind. You don't get it. Why? If we were looking to the mirror, the perfect mirror of liberty, we would constantly see our need for Jesus. We would constantly be drawn to him. We would constantly grow in our love for him. But you have to keep looking. That's why it says, who continues to look. You don't want to be the person who looks. The man who looks at the mirror sees, that's not great, and walks away and forgets all about it and feels fine. You want to be the person who looks and says, that's not great. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus because that's not great. That's not good. That's ugly. That's horrible. When I look at my own heart, I need the cleansing power of Jesus who will make me look good. Because I'll look like him.
but only the scriptures tell us this. Sometimes we like to look to other mirrors. One of the ways we do that is we make the mirror of the law, the teachings, kind of a different mirror. And I think a lot of us do this, but I see some teachers out there that do it. And I think some of us do it with our own friends. We look in here and we go, okay, like I said, there's some good stuff, some promises, some stuff that really appeals to the self-love, and then there's some stuff that's a little harder. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the good stuff, I'm going to put that there, then I'm going to take a little false teaching over here about how God's going to do this or that for you, or you're going to be, everything's going to be perfect if you just come to Jesus, put that, maybe I'm going to, just a dash of Oprah, maybe, right? Just a little bit of worldly wisdom, a little self-help. And what do I have? New gospel. I got a new gospel. People preach it all the time. Come on in. Jesus loves you. He wants to make everything great for you. Everything's going to be great if you follow him. Not, come on in. You are jacked up, messed up. You need Jesus. Like we all need Jesus. Every day, every second, we need Jesus because of his grace. Instead, it's, you all right? You're doing okay? When the angels came to the shepherds to announce the good news, the good news was not, hey, I give you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Y'all look pretty good, and you do you. That wasn't it, right? Unto you is born in the city of David a Savior. What did they know? What did these shepherds know? They needed a Savior. They understood that got a lot of people who don't understand that now because we lie to them about what they really need and about who Jesus really is. I'm not, when you come in here and you want to follow Christ, I'm not handing you a lamp with a genie inside. I'm handing you a cross to pick up every day and follow Jesus, recognizing what he's done for you and what he's calling you to do for his kingdom. We're not here to feel good. We're here to know the truth. There are other ways, other mirrors. Sometimes we make the mirror of comparison. This is one that I see. We look at other people and we sort of compare ourselves. Somehow everybody wants to choose like Hitler, Stalin, whatever murderer, whoever, and be like, hey, at least I'm not as bad as them. They got like 100 zits. I only have like 56 I must be pretty good. I mean, after all, I'm not them. That's a bad mirror. Because guess what God doesn't care about? How you compare to your neighbor. He's not, he's not going to do this. All right, uh, John, come on up. And John's there and he's like, okay. Oof. Uh, Hitler, come stand next to John. Okay. I guess you're okay compared to that guy. That's not how it works. You know what the standard is? Holiness perfection, godliness. Who has met that standard? Nobody should be raising their hand. None of us have. We already read that. No one, not one, our righteousness is filthy rags. So when we make that mirror our standard, it's a false mirror. What we do is we, we create these ways to feel good about ourselves. It's what I call the photoshopped gospel. We photoshop the gospel we find ways to obscure our own imperfection so that we can feel like we don't necessarily need Jesus. That's what our society is doing. 
right? We just twist the scripture a little bit. And instead of the perfect mirror of liberty, they're looking at some funhouse mirror. You ever, you ever been in one of those? I like the ones that make you look really tall. Because it kind of stretches out this area here. <laughs> I've looked in the one that made me look really wide, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a normal mirror. And it was kind of rough. <laughs> Body of death. That's what we do. You know that when we, when we are trying to bring the gospel to somebody and we only focus on the great, the great stuff for them and we don't focus on their need for Jesus, that we're just twisting, that it ends up being lying and instead of getting the gospel, they get the photoshopped gospel. And I hate to tell you this, but the photoshopped gospel doesn't save because the photoshopped gospel says you don't really need Jesus. You might want him, might be great for those times when you need something. That's the religion of most people in the world. Some kind of spirituality where when things are going great, you're like, I'm glad there's a God who made everything great. When things are going really bad, it's like, hey, God, help me out of this. But the rest of the time, all they think about is themselves. That's a photoshopped gospel. That is not the word of God, which we delight in, which we meditate on day and night. We cannot give ourselves or those who we are ministering to, who we want to see come in to the grace of Jesus Christ, a photoshopped gospel, a false mirror. We must let them do what each one of us has had to do who's a Christ follower and look directly into that mirror and experience the pain and the loss and the shame of what that is. I had to do that, but I tell you what, it was followed right after that by the joy and the shalom, the wholeness, the peace of knowing Jesus Christ. But I had to see it first to know how much I needed him. That day when I was broken over my sin because I saw who I was, that's also the day when I saw who Jesus was. And my love for him exploded. And it has driven me ever since to want everyone to see who Jesus is and how much they need him. And they got to have all of this for that. And they got to love it. And they got to dance with it. And they got to delight in it. And they got to meditate on it. So that they can constantly keep before their eyes and before their heart their need for Jesus Christ. So they might trust him more and more and love him more and more. Learning the truth about who I was and learning the truth about who Jesus is is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Without compare. And it came from looking at the mirror directly, not the photoshopped version. I can tell you I didn't look like Chris Hemsworth, spiritually. Or physically. But with Jesus, I've begun to start to look like him, one step at a time, through his power, as I continue to look at the mirror I could have continued how I was, and how I was was like a lot of people. I sort of walked along, justifying every sin, every zit on my heart, right? Either comparing myself to other people or finding some reason why it wasn't really a big deal, and so on. I could have, stopped, I could have continued in that for a long time, but the Lord didn't let me. Instead, he gave me the mirror, because the false mirror, the false gospel leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. The wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, every other religion, every other philosophy is doing one thing. It's all the same. It's boring. Here's what it is. Do these things and you can be a good person. Stack up enough good things, at least the ones that people see, and you can be a good person. Or, if it's a more God-type religion, stack up these good things and you can go to heaven. But if you look into this, you look straight in this mirror, that message is not there. It's not true. We can't stack up good things to get to heaven. That's not what the teachings say. They say, you're broken, you're dead in your sins and your trespasses. There is no amount of good deeds that you could ever do to undead yourself. There's only one thing you can do, be born again of the Spirit. Only one thing you can do, go to Jesus because he paid the price for those things. Don't think you can stack up enough things to cover them. You can't. There's only one thing that covers them, the blood of Jesus Christ, period. We are a people of grace. That's who we are. It is the only truth. It is the truth that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's it. And it's a scandal. Your faith, look, we didn't come here because we think we have a slightly better way of living life than other people. And it's basically just a glorified PTA meeting where we talk about self-help and kind of figure out how to be, you know, have things go a little better for us. We are the body of Christ, his bride, his church, operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are a scandal to the world. A scandal. Some of them hate what's here. Some of them just don't understand it. Because we're the people who say, this murderer in a, in a prison cell who finally surrenders to Jesus Christ and says, I give up. I accept you. I call you Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead, is saved and forgiven and clean. And the person over here who's never done anything that would send them to jail and has their own self-righteousness and has photoshopped every zit on their heart away says, I'm not in and that person is. Scandal. I'm better than them, not recognizing the depth of wickedness in their own heart. Because we're constantly trying to make ourselves feel good. And the, and the mirror comes and says, no, look at yourself. Find out who you are and find out who God is. And then you'll understand why the murderer can be set free. Because you also are just as broken as he is. And you need Jesus just as much as he does. But until they understand that, Christianity is just a, a scandal to them. It doesn't smell good to them. They don't like it. Because we have a God of grace. I tell you what, your job as a Christ follower, your role, your mission, is to go out and be a scandal. To stand against all the puffed up knowledge of the world about what it means to be a good person and show that the only thing that is good in us is Christ. That's who we stand on. That's the rock that we're, that our foundation is on, that we're anchored to. Because we look to the law, we look to the teachings, and we look to ourselves. And we look to the teachings and we look to ourselves. And we love we love the law of the Lord and we meditate on it day and night. Remember your mission as Christ followers. It's on the wall outside. This is what it says, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. A fundamental part of your mission as a Christ follower is not just to see people saved, baptized, and becoming disciples, but to teach them what? All things that God has commanded. What is that? The Torah, the teachings, the law, who you are, who God is, how to live, how to live the eternal kingdom life now. We went through the whole Sermon on the Mount. Many, many parts of that were about the moral law, the way that God has set things up for us to thrive and to be blessed. It's part of what we are called to do. Teach the Torah, the commands of Jesus, to search the scriptures, to know them, to love them, to have them be pleasant and pleasing, a pleasure to dance with them, to have them on our lips muttering under our breath at all times, focusing on them, meditating day and night, that we might teach them to others. And we are nothing but the next generation of Christ followers that have been coming down since the death of Jesus, the resurrection and Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Over and over, we've created these disciples, and it's our job to continue to create them. He draws them. You know, we, we plant the seed, we water. That's fine, but he brings the increase. And when he brings it, we teach them the Torah, the teachings. Some of you today have never followed Christ. You don't know maybe what I'm talking about. It seems like a big book and a lot to learn. Praise God that it is. More and more, I say. Give, give me your truth. Let me desire it like eating honey, like it's just delicious. I want it. But some of you don't know Christ, but let me just tell you something. The good news is that there is grace. The good news is that while you will look into the mirror of the law and find out that you come up severely wanting, Jesus Christ has died for you. For you. Because you're made in his image and likeness and he loves you. And you can be saved if you will call him Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And let me tell you something. God raised him from the dead. And he is Lord. So you would just be recognizing the truth. And in that you become his disciple and his follower. That you also might love the Torah, the teachings. That you also might meditate on them day and night. Thanks again for listening. We hope the Lord blessed you through it. We'd like to invite you to join us on one of our Sunday morning services at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Whether you would just like to find out some more info about Axe Church or if you'd like to plug in and take some next steps in your faith, axechurchnw.org is a great place to start. You can also email us at info at There's always more content coming, whether it's on YouTube or on our podcast channel. So be sure to subscribe to both of those to always get the newest content from Max Church. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed week.